Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Thriller Podcast. How you doing this week, Mike? Good, man. We got something different on the docket. A classic today. A little throwback. Chris, this was a great recommendation to read The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Yeah, I guess we should give the, the listeners a little bit of the context um, and put a, put a little plug for our Patreon. So we had put up a poll. Uh, we wanted to start a book club with some of our people we were talking to on our Patreon group chat. And um, everyone selected a book to do for the first month of a book club. Not that this isn't already kind of a book club, but you know, we, <laughs> we wanted more stuff to do, right, Mike? <laughs> All of us put in a thing. I actually put in The Spy Weekend from the Cold. I wanted to read some Lake Cray. Ever since we watched uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, what was that, two years ago, three years ago with uh, yeah. the com majors? Yeah. And it got picked. Like, no, I did, did, you know, and so, yeah, it was, it was nice. It was a very breezy read. I actually, I did a combination because it's it's publicly available, like, as a PDF. And I wanted to actually, like, physically read it, you know, like, it's something about reading, like, these older things you want to, like. Yeah. But I, I did enjoy the audiobook, you know, I sort of did, did a hybrid approach this time. Yeah, super different, man. Yeah, super different. Very, very good, but uh, but way different than anything we've we've done so far today. Yeah, I did the same with the hybrid approach, and I, I was frankly surprised how much I did like the audiobook because I thought it was going to be one of these. I definitely want to read the words, you know, like Ray's words as written. It was intended to be that way, and I really enjoyed that one. This was my second time around, and then my third time around, I read it twice this time. I did the audiobook as well, and I, I mixed it in back and forth. And that was a pleasant surprise hearing the audiobook. I really did enjoy it. I think it was the British narrator that, that really made it feel authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he did a good job of like mixing, especially like uh, when he was talking as um, months or as um, Fiedler. Uh, yes. You know, he like sort of like, yeah, he's speaking English, but he's like adding a little bit of that German, like, yeah. Back, like, like, I don't know, twang to it. And then, and then obviously, you know, he did Liz Gold like pretty good, and then hopping around with Control Control's and George Smiley good. and Peter Gillum. And I guess we should give a little bit of context about how this is, you know, 1963 published, uh, Lake Carré's third book. Yeah, it comes it kind of plays as a like a direct sequel to his previous two novels, uh, Call for the Dead and A Murder of Quality. Yeah, which in each of those books we we meet George Smiley and Peter, this Peter uh, Gillum circus, Yep, you know, these agents of the circus. And then we're kind of introduced to this new agent and who we're only ever going to see in this one book, right. And in, in, in Alec Lemus. And so yeah. what did you think about, you know, I guess we're jumping into this series uh, in the third book. Did you think like, were you missing anything right off the bat? Uh, or do you think they did a good job sort of like, you know, being self kind of self-contained? Yeah, great question. And a couple of points on that because I, I well, and also there was an author's note uh, really liked in this edition, the most updated one. Le Carre had written a little bit about how this novel changed everything for him. There was no kind of putting it back in the bag after this. His name was out there. It was kind of that breakthrough novel. And now he had to be a lot more aware that everything he writes in the future would have this global appeal, uh, if you will, where with his first two books, I don't think he had that pressure and it, it wasn't written as interna under international acclaim. And so he definitely said, you know, he knew when this book took off as it did, 
the game was changed. So that that's one thing is that this one definitely demarks his later writings from those first two uh, Smiley books. Now in the group chat, some of you guys were talking about we're completists, as you have said. You want to read the whole series. You know, you kind of want to get your feet wet with the debut and jump in. And, and in my mind, I was like, I'm not quite sure the George Smiley universe mandates that. And I haven't read a lot of them. I've read Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and then the two newest Le Carre's. One was – I'm not sure if it was post posthumously after his death, but I think it was published right around or beforehand. And then there was one that came out a year or two before uh, he passed. So I read his two most like recent ones chronologically and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and this one. And I'm like, I love George Smiley, but to be honest, he's not doesn't play a huge role in this book. I think he does something and comes in in a very important way, but it didn't seem to me to necessitate. I need to read this character's backstory or earlier books. I still don't even know what those first two books are about, right? And sure. Yeah. I, I and then my other point is I think it's definitely a George Smiley book if you if you know the whole kind of background of what's going on. But Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the fact that I knew control Peter Gillum, uh, and particularly Smiley as the main character in that book, it gave me a little more feel for the wider universe where if I was just picking up this one and expecting, you know, it's called the George Smiley book, George Smiley number three, and thinking about it in terms of the modern day American post Vince Flynn protagonist of a spy thriller, I could see somebody really, really being off put by what's going on here. When Lecrae, I think, really demands this wider view of his body of works and who the characters are. So it's like control had his his one breakout moment in here. And then the rest of the book, he's in the background as the mastermind who set this all up and that's revealed. But like you only really meet control in one scene and, and everything else about him is like this legend, this aura. So I think reading other books in the series kind of fills in that gap. So I was glad I had Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is very heavy on Control, Smiley, Gillum, and everyone else at the circus. Where I don't know how I would have read this book without having that background. What was your take? Because you're this is your first Lake Ray book. Yeah, and I guess it kind of just like almost whets my appetite. It makes me want to read the other things more. I think it does a good job of setting up you know, this extended universe while still focusing on the character of, you know, Alec Lamus. And if you, if you didn't know that there were other novels written by Le Carre about these other characters, I, I don't think there's nothing missing within this. He does a good job of just, you know, everything is kind of self-contained, but that now that, now that you know that, oh, there's this other universe, then it makes you want to go out and seek those other, I want to read those other books now more. I want to understand more like this is like a light. Yeah. Like why, you know, it's the audiobook is like what, four and a half hours it, on the, uh, it's 200 and some pages. It's like almost like on the, like <laughs> when we read uh, the novella recently with um, Eric Bishop, his novella wasn't, wasn't that much shorter than this entire book. Right. You know, maybe a hundred more pages. So yeah, it's just different. And I feel like, you know, you could even, I wanted to get into you and talk a little bit more about like the themes, like what, what uh Lake Ray was trying one trying to say two like do you understand the ending in, in, in mm. that kind of sense like th this this unlike other stuff we read where there's not a lot of 
I don't know, intellectual depth. Yeah. I don't want to say that. That's it's kind of rude. Um, but I would say it's true. These things have been boiled down for a, a, a wide audience. You know, a yeah. modern small brain, small attention span kind of audience who just wants to be entertained. This book is not just trying to entertain you; it's trying to make you think. Exactly, and I like that. I like that little change up. I like that change up. Yeah, it's cerebral for sure, and you can interpret that in a lot of ways. Which, on first glance, a book this short, you could kind of say it's it's quick, it's snappy. You could read it and just say, "Huh, okay, that was a good story." But then, when you stew over it, when you sit with it, it becomes a magnificent story. And you said the ending, right? One way you can interpret that is who won in the end? Uh, was control bested? Is Munt on our side? Was he the agent or was he playing us and control? And so there's a million ways you can look at it and think about it. Then the same could be said for the dialogue and the conversations around worldviews and philosophies. How many times does Lemus get challenged by his interlocutors? Not really Ash so much, that little sissy boy. Like he, he, he's clearly a pawn. But the later characters, Kievers and Peters and eventually Fiedler, we're very much having a battle of wills in terms of pushing a worldview. And we, like Lemus, have to push up against that and be like, what if we don't have one? Or what if what if people in Britain, basically general society, don't necessarily declare any of these views? What does that mean? Do you get walked on? Do you get trampled on? Are you worthless? Is life worthless? Do you have to declare a philosophy as strong as the communists or as strong as Liz. But then on the flip side, someone who seemingly is as dedicated to the cause as Liz then gets pushed by Lemus when he says, you're the communist. Human life doesn't matter to you. Why are you getting all sappy about someone like Fiedler? And he has to push back on her. So all of a sudden, the one with the worldviews, all involved in the communist party, so she thinks, is exposed for being naive and arrogant, but then also having a heart. And is it okay if you sacrifice your philosophy to show that human emotion versus a Fiedler who is kind of pushing this worldview of I'd put the bomb in the theater. You know, I'd, I'd blow up, you know, the family and, and count the numbers. It's all a pure calculation. If we can push the cause, push the revolution, that matters. And numbers and lives just become statistics like Stalin said. So you could really stew over those questions. Yeah. Or you could just read this book and it's only okay, I would say. But once you get into those questions, and these are the perfect characters to have a dialogue around those questions, it just becomes a classic. And as many lists have said, one of the top hundred books ever written. Did you see that? It was listed as one yeah, of the top I did. I did see that ever written. And I think you could push against that if you weren't one of these deeper readers looking for it. And it's a pretty quick read, so you read it, put it off to the side. But I find that very hard to do because this this book demands questions and answers. Yeah, just for fun, I went on like Goodreads and and read read some one star reviews, <laughs> and uh, just just to laugh. And there's a lot of them like, how how is this the best one of the top books ever written? I, I think it says more about the person posting and what they're looking for in entertainment from a postmodern or modernist perspective versus the era when it was written and what questions were being asked of society, you know, we're uh, deep into the Cold War, the wall is going up. We even have that time marker of when Lemus went back and crossed the wall, it was built more. So this was like the exact time period of them building it up. I feel like you could look at it with the modern lens and very easily overlook the gems that are in here. Yeah. And I I feel like 
know, just this idea of running someone so deep undercover to like playing this ultra long game. Oh yeah. Like that's just super, you know, like super cool to me, this idea that, you know, he control comes in was like, Hey, I have one last job for you to do. You're literally going to tank your entire career. It reminded me a lot of like the departed where it like, that's essentially, you know, a very similar story where I, and and actually in a sense, you have, you have two games going on at the same time, right? Two moles. I didn't realize that, but I like that. So, but then, I was shocked. Like, were you shocked when you found out that Mund was actually one of the the British guys? And, and do you believe that he truly is a double agent? Well, the ending makes you question that, right? Was control bested? Uh, I don't know. I was shocked. Yes, I forget if it really. Why? Hit me. Why do you think that control was bested? Because because he kills uh, Liz. Well, they both die right on the wall. Spoil the ending, right? Well, he. He he purposely went back over because she's she died. He could have been saved. True. But do you think if he didn't go back over the wall and get shot, the plan by whoever orchestrated that, because here's the deal. If they're shooting Liz but not him first, and he's already like higher up the wall, yet they shoot her first, there was definitely some pre-planning thought and an order given to why shoot her. And they even told her she has to go over second. No, I, I, I think I think Munt's purposely. So did Munt ma- did Munt mastermind that? I th- I think he did. That's I I took that as yes, especially when he when he's getting him out of the jail. He, he's very rude to her. He tells Lemus, "You're you're stupid. She's you know she's not worth this. You know, and she's also the only other besides Lemus." She's the only other one that ha- can have any sort of knowledge of, mm-hmm. you know, she's, she's a loose end. And this whole, this entire scheme has been about tying up loose ends. Like why, okay. he, why Munt even killed the spy he was running in, in Carl. Um, Remick. Remick. Yeah. yeah. Like he's a bad, he's a bad You're dude. Right. So, so he w- wanted to go along with control's plan and continue his, his cover by letting Lemus go back. Tying up Liz as a loose end. No one would ever know about her. She would never be able to spill the beans. Okay, so. And also by letting both of them escape allows him to then have carte blanche to be like, oh, sh- there's still there's still other traitors here that are um, against us. Against us. Even and look, he caught her going over the wall. She was one of them. Right, exactly. Oh, that's, that's good because stuff, but he can d- protect his cover. There's even that, there's that one line. It's like, two sentences before the very end someone gave the order to shoot and then they hesitated because those guys were told yeah don't not to shoot don't Lemus. Shoot yeah but then when he went back but when he but when he hesitates too long they remember he like the one guy who drives him there says you you they're going to give you a window but you you can't like, 90 they, seconds. they can't not they can't just not yeah you can't so. come back you know you're right oh man i i completely misread it then uh yeah you're right Everything points to Lemus. Lemus was supposed to make it over. Liz was supposed to get shot. And everything would have been intact and Munt can continue his ma- his uh, manhunt. Right. And, huh. and I think that Lemus makes the decision to then, he, it's not worth, you know, the whole car ride back where he's like, you know, he's kind of disgusted at, at both Munt control 
but he's came to terms with like that this is what this is what spies do like we you know we don't we don't really think about it we don't there's no morality it's just it's all moving pieces on a chessboard to get to an end and whether or not and it's it's almost even similar to communism like if you think like i think that's what his argument is like trying to say is that the good of the good of one or like the the death of one to save whatever the entity is we justify the means for the ends i think you're right i i think a couple of these details i just i didn't put together and and just here's like the perfect quote to summarize what you just said it's so pithy espionage is not a cricket game like that's precisely what you're talking about mm-hmm. and then this whole discussion i think it was in the car with liz riding to the wall Quote, what do you think spies are? Priests? Saints? Martyrs? They're a squalid procession of vain fools. Traitors, too. Yes, pansies, sadists, and drunkards. People who play cowboys and Indians to brighten their rotten lives. Do you think they sit like monks in London, balancing the rights and wrongs? It's so sober, right? It's such a clear reflection on what his whole career in life had been. And he's calling a spade a spade. And it all leads up to this moment where he says, fuck it. I'm... I'm not going back. I'm not going to, you know, be a pawn in this game anymore. And if that means I have to die professing my desire to stick with this girl, then so be it. And he's resigned to that fact. Wow. It th- your analysis there really helps me put it all together. All these questions I'm thinking about, quotes like that, what Lemus is going through when he's quite literally arguing with Liz, this woman who's right. going to sacrifice himself for yeah, he's I know just it's yelling so it's at so strange. I know, he's yelling it's so strange. at her. Yeah, but I I think ultimately there like he's yeah he's yelling at her, but he's not mad. He's I I think I think he feels betrayed. Yeah, for sure. To the fact that control and he even told control is like don't get her involved. Like yeah, you got to promise me. And then what what do they do? They, they, they he sends her as bait. They use her as bait. Yeah, they sent Smiley to give her the card exactly. What do you ta- what do you make of Smiley didn't like this operation from the beginning or was that one of controls I think that was a lie. I think it was a lie. I, I think Smiley was the one running it even though he's quote unquote retired, he was the one running it. A thousand percent. And and that's the kind of thing Smiley does later on for sure. So when Control said that, I was a little caught off guard, but it all shows that he really had a hand in this. And I think control was lying to Lemus just because he needed to, to, to cover up everything that the, the long game that they were playing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's long game within long game within long game. And Crazy. Like, I want to know, I, I guess they were insinuating that when control came to visit, uh, remake and met, met with him, that's when he told, that's what I guess he gave a message to Remick to give to Munz to set this all thing up. I mean, again, that's the only time that you, that Munz could have contacted Control to even begin to play this out, right? Yeah, I wondered about that meeting because that really plays a central role in the trial, uh, if if you can call it a trial, of what happened and what was said in those. I think it was a quarter of an hour. But then part of me wonders: was that just a ruse, right, to get them in a room together? for mm. the trial board and you know the, the justices or magistrates to kind of question and play into Fiedler's hand of like look control and remick were conspiring right. together um in these 15 minutes they didn't want Alec to hear anything of what they were saying 
but they secretly just sat there, had some scotch and were laughing together, smoking. Like, did they not do anything? But it was a whole play to say, oh, shit, they did have some time alone to kind of dig into this. Or were they training Remick on what he has to bring to Munt? I don't know. It's another one of those. There's there's a lot of things that, you know, you can sort of ask that question about, like, is it what was really going on here? Was it real? Was it set up? Was it on purpose? Was it not? You know, he even says like, or she even asks like, well, how, how could they have count? Like, how could they account for us actually falling in love? And he's like, well, it doesn't really matter if we fell in love or not. They're, either way, they were going to like say, they, they purposely put me in that library knowing that you were there, a party member, attractive, young female. Yeah. And then they would just make up a lie. And I just happened to make the mistake of actually, you know, quote unquote, falling in love for, with you. Which kind of tricks us. Because I don't know about you, but I bought into that storyline when she asked that. I'm like, wow. And it, and it's kind of a trope, right? But I bought it hook, line, and sinker. Oh, love really is the X factor. They had this master plan and considered every detail, but they could have never realized how far we'll fall for each other. And we'll do anything. And that's what breaks the mold. But that was all bullshit. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. even you two meeting at this library was masterminded. You were just pawned by these higher powers. And even even us, the reader, at least me, was caught off guard with that of like bought into that storyline of, of love is the unknown and we can't predict it. And it changes the equation and the algorithm. And in the end, Lamus is like, no, the algorithm won. <laughs> like the people who designed the algorithm were so good that they even knew what our relationship would look like. And if it didn't, the algorithm they had going would have accounted for that anyway. Yeah. I was, I was starting to get like a little pissed off at the sense that wait, th- this is going to be the downfall of this amazing, you know, sleeper agent is the fact that he, you know, bedded this, yeah, you know, woman that he barely knew, like this is going to be the reason. And I, I think it's, it's almost like that preposterous, on purpose to like highlight that it, you know, yeah, it could have happened, but like, like you said, it, it, it was all mastermind, like yeah. wh- whether or not it happened or not. Your emotions were still being manipulated, manipulated like a, a puppet. Yeah. Well, here's another way to read it. And I highlighted this quote because I think this one is honest. I think it's Lemus pretty honestly committing himself to protecting Liz. And it's probably right around the point where he wants Liz to be left alone and like really is like, I hope they fucking don't don't do anything to her. And here is where I see a big switch in him with this quote. He knew what it was then that Liz had given him the thing he would have to go back and find if he ever got home to England. It was the caring about little things, the faith in ordinary life, the simplicity that made you break a bit of bread into a paper bag, walk down to the beach and throw it to the gulls. It was this respect for triviality, which he had never been allowed to possess. Whether it was bread for the seagulls or love, whatever it was, he would go back and find it. He would make Liz find it for him. I take that little reflection there as honest Mm. of Lemus realizing. One of the only times I think that he was honest. I agree. I agree. That's what breaks the game. Being just a pawn in the game is his whole career led him to be kind of, and I know he was playing a role, but he essentially is an isolated, lonely, degenerate drunkard. Whether or not he's doing that for cover, 
I think he's saying that's what my life was going to be anyway in this business. So he's really good at it. <laughs> I'm, I think he's so good at it, though, because it's what he would have who he was anyway, sure. just maybe to a lesser degree or or in a different time scale. And I think here he's finally saying how silly that this little girl that I had a thing with that was supposed to be, you know, part of this plot is changing me so much that that's what I want to get home for. He, you know, he did he really have much of a desire to get back to England and go back to normalcy and, and work in the circus again with this whole thing? Maybe not. But he found, you know, the beauty of the banal. And she showed that to him working in this library, the way he pissed off Miss Crail and kind of got a rise out of it. You kind of got this idea right. that he loved antagonizing her, not just for his cover, but he secretly loved putting the groceries in the corner and she'd yell at him. And I love the little line about, he was such a monster that he didn't even do a monstrous thing. Go back and demand his final paycheck. <laughs> like that was the twist of the dagger in someone like Miss Crail that, that, you know, is just poetic justice. She wanted so badly to watch him pick up his last paycheck and come s struggling back and scraping for pennies from her and getting his last cent. And he didn't even show up to collect it. <laughs> I love that. He knew that would piss her off more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, I think like there's other things that show that Lamus is like a truly a good guy, and you know it's during the trial, and he he realizes that the gig is up, that he feels bad, yeah, for Fiedler, and he tries to save him, like you know, because I think we're supposed to take it to that Lamus was not in on this double no. thing, like he he was told I'm there to take down Munt. I hate Munt. Munt exactly. literally killed all of my agents. He I was should supposed hate to him. be with Fiedler. Yeah, helping right. Fiedler. There's a line, though, where it clicks, and it's right during that trial. I think when Liz either walks out or something where he goes, I now know what the game was. I, right. I, I see he sees it in Munt's eyes because Munt's eyes are eyeing Fiedler. Yes. Once, like, Fiedler's been, like, sentenced to whatever, and then he sees it, and he's like, oh, this is what it was for, for yep. this. Yep. Yeah. And then so when Munt breaks him out of prison, it, he he gets it. He's not all that surprised. Where Liz is totally surprised, like, what the hell's going on? And meanwhile, Lemus already did the calculations. Yeah. Yeah, it's Gene. It's, 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 it's a, this twist is a, is a stroke of genius. Like, it's, it's really, it's really cool. It's really smart. Yeah. And then even all the little details, right? So you have that stroke of genius going on as the overarching plot. But then you got a lot of cool little things like De Young and the car. And how they first recruited Carl, where he'd leave the cameras mm, while yeah. he was picnicking. And then Lemus picked up on that and went back and kept working that agent, kept running him. Uh, I, I really like even the little spycraft details that are woven in like that. Uh, and then some of the bureaucracy behind the scenes is kind of cool of how the circus works, who can see classified documents, how they're passed along, the banking section, right? How they're paying these assets and how it's they're very, putting money very old school yeah, yeah 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 in accounts and then another small thing i like when he goes through passport control first in the airport i think it was with peters at that time or maybe it was kievers i think it was kievers and he gets away from him no it must have been peters because they were in holland already he gets away from him and he goes quickly to buy a, a news magazine and read it in the bathroom stall all before peters can get through 
security check just to prove that he really is a wanted man, that his picture right. is all over Europe and and that somebody burned him at the circus. I, it, just a little detail of how he did that, you know, knowing that Peters couldn't look away because it would be suspicious to passport control. He had to be facing one direction so he can kind of sneak away for half a second. Little things like that just make the book a lot of fun. Now, we had this debate with Damascus Station. Almost none of this is considered action. And the one time we see Liam is involved in a little bit of action when he kills that guard, it's kind of lame and kind of murky. It wasn't even one of my favorite scenes. So I don't want to transition to the scorecard per se, but what are you thinking about how this stacks up as a suspenseful edge of your seat? I'd call it a thriller, but it has absolutely no elements of a typical thriller. Yeah, I think like we have to we have to adjust the scorecard yeah. and like the you know the the categories here because yeah that that's a really weird scene because they Munt comes turns off the lights you know he I don't know like I maybe if I had read it I, I listened to the audio version of that and like sometimes when when there's like quick pace like the author tries or the narrator tries to like speed up their reading to like simulate this intensity suspensefulness and there's just like murky general murkiness i think it's well one i think it's purposely written like that because it's supposed to be like it's in the darkness like you know he doesn't quite know what's yeah. going on and he pushes this chair then all of a sudden he's like wait i killed this dude i don't even realize like how he ended up killing the guy but yeah, it's not it's not the same. <laughs> you put that action scene up against any action scene in like the worst mid trap novel, Executive Power, and uh, it, Executive Power is going to win like ten, you know, a hundred to one. Like, yeah. So, but what was the purpose of it then? Because the purpose wasn't to write a kick ass action scene. Like, that's not what he was going for. So, what was he going for? And I, I myself, am not even sure. I think it was to show Lemus's ability. You know, like he's a fifty year old dude. But he still has like, and the whole book, he's supposed to be like this drunk, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's to show that he actually does have his wits about him. And he was able to, you know, like he knew that there was this room where people were watching him because he was able to quickly, like on one of the walks, he was able to quickly like run around and like peek in like when Peter was like walking behind him. And mm -hmm. so he knew he had situational awareness even though he's playing this persona of this drunk bumbling like dude is, is there. And I think like this scene was supposed to heighten that and make us, you know, believe even more that he is, you know, uh, a good spy. Yeah. That's what I took it as like, you know, yeah, a, a different element of, of his spy craft. Uh, we even got a nice SDR run where he's almost right. positive that, He's clean. Like that, He's I think black. that's when he that's when he knows that's one of the one of the, the true things that clicks into place that yep this was a smiley thing because he knows he he, he knows was he was not he was yep. clean and so the only way for them to find out about yeah. that is for the British to give him up and that was Munt's lawyer right who made the argument yeah. of like well what were you doing at George Smiley's house on the afternoon of so and so during these hours and he's just like the hell did you know that and. Most people would be like, oh, my God, they're on to me and be nervous about that. But instead, he's able to say, wait, I knew I was clean. I'm good enough. So they must have had contact with somebody who told them that. Right. Yeah. And it's beginning to put the pieces, you know, like 
Yep. What 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 is going on here? Yeah, yeah. That's one of the breadcrumbs that lead up to that aha moment when he looks at Moon and knows what the, what the play was. Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, an- another reason for the action scene, he had to kill a man to raise the stakes of the trial of like even if we were to just let you go on the espionage charges, we can't just let you walk for being a murderer now. <laughs> like I think it just upped the ante of that trial a, a little bit more just beyond was it Fiedler? Was it Munt? Who's the traitor? Who's the spy? And now it's like, we have a murderer in our midst. Who's also caught up in this espionage game. So I, I think maybe this is an interesting stakes. point to bring up Munt here. And we haven't really like talked about him and like, as a character, he is willing to sacrifice one of his men. Yeah. Like put him in a situation where he thinks Lemus would, would, fend for himself you know fight defensively and and kill another man because he's hoping that lemus will do that to raise the stakes of this ruse right and 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 and, and so he's willing to do that he's willing to runs carl remick kills him when 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 he when the guy talks too much put you know uh does up loose ends i i believe you know, I'm gonna take it as that he killed Liz because he wanted to tie the loose end there. Yeah, he's, he's getting money from he's getting money from the British. I guess he's giving good good intelligence. So it's like, you know, you have to I get, that that is like the the conundrum of of espionage. Is but like he's doing it have, for the West. Shouldn't we cheer that? Like that's what Lemus is asking Liz in that car ride of like, right? I'm supposed to cheer that because that's my side winning by Munt doing all those things. And she's like, but they're human lives. And like Fiedler maybe is a good man. And and Lemus is just like, this is the game. Like, that's the game. We we should be cheering Munt doing those things. Yet he's a monster for doing those things. Right. Right. Very interesting character. Yeah. Like, as a villain, do you, do you even see him as a villain? So you have to define villain, right? Because let's take any of these guys, if we were doing it according to modern day espionage thrillers, a la Vince Flynn, Brad Thor, God, these are terrible villains, right? They're not the kind of villain we're accustomed to in these books. A world ending plan or a streak of vengeance against our protagonist and a personal reason and personal stakes against them that get under your skin. How do we define villain in the genre because then who is the ultimate villain? Is it not actually Fiedler because he wants the GDR and the communist side to win? Is it Munt because he's killing who may be innocent or maybe not so innocent, but people caught in the middle? I guess he is the villain. He's built up, talked about being a villain, but he's actually a deep cover agent. So I don't know how I even score villains on this book either. <laughs> yeah it's 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 hard i don't know control can do- because control wants munt to kill these people to keep the cover could you know true collect the intelligence doesn't matter if all these people die i masterminded a plan where they will but then controls a g at the same time right that's what that's why I'm, the spy stuff is very murky it's very murky which is probably what it's really like being in these right. these roles I don't know how we score this one, man. I don't, I don't know, know how maybe, we do maybe, it. Maybe we just do like a modified scorecard where we say plot, character, and I don't know, like ending or like I don't I don't know like 
Yeah. Like, you know what? You know what we do? I don't feel comfortable giving this a number out of 50 per our categories, which is kind of what I was trying to say with Damascus Station a little bit. I know. And then the, the, I think that was closer to what we normally do that I felt more comfortable giving. But this I felt comfortable. Card. Exactly. But I think we I, just I have feel, to give this a letter grade. Yeah, I feel even I feel even less comfortable giving this giving this a traditional scorecard. Yeah. I think we just give it a letter grade overall, and then we could also break it down into letter grades per smaller things, such as the dialogue, A plus 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 plus. Yes. The if you want to consider it action scenes, but I'll call it suspense scenes at the wall, crossing the Berlin Wall. Yeah. A plus 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 plus. The last couple of chapters of this of it, like are really suspenseful. It's so noir. Even from the first scene, how noir is it? It's like you're watching one of those 50s, 60s movies, even a silent movie where you just see the spotlight swiveling and it's in black and white. I feel like this book reads as if you're watching a classic noir film. Right. It, it reads like it. Particularly when you're at the wall. And I love how it bookends opening at the wall, closing at the wall from one side and then the other side. Even the bicycle scene, right? They obviously put that in so many renditions of this cover. It's just so iconic to have... Uh, the guy on the bicycle. Really like the uh, audiobook cover. Yeah. Really oh, it's super cool. Cover. Is that the yeah. one with the almost like cartoonish looking bike on the ground? Or is that the kind? That was my Kindle cover. Cartoonish looking bike. Uh, let me pull it up. There's one with the bent wheel. By the way, for covers. The, the original cover is literally just the spy who came in from the cold in a red uh, with like a quote from J.B. Press Presley. Yeah. But there's 387 editions on Goodreads. Like, what am I oh, supposed to do with that? My <laughs> gosh. Uh, so if we tried to do the scorecard and judge a book by the cover, it's like 387 editions. They're probably not all unique, but there's probably at least 100. Yeah, no, it's it's like a cartoony with like blood in the snow. And the like, bike kind of, the wheel the twisted. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah, I like that one feet. too. I, I really like that cover. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it, it doesn't, I don't know if it's a serious enough cover for the book, but it is just kind of a playful way of, of doing it. I do like the one with the birds. Yes. You, you see that one listed there? Uh, we're going to have to call some of these A, B, C, D, E, and F to figure it out for our, our little graphic. But the one with the Brandenburg Gate is kind of cool. Yes. In Spanish. A couple of them have barbed wire. It's a True. neat little touch. I mean, there's just so many, you know. There's a lot. All right, so what do you think? Letter scores? Uh, yeah, how would you rank the characters in this novel? The characters and how they're developed, I would also, for, for most of them, give an A++++++++. And I guess a kind of follow up to that is what do you think about this Ash to Kievers to Peters to Fiedler, which, by the way, premieres in my limerick, might I add. So let me preview this question or preface this question by telling you. The spy who came in from the cold, a novel that breaks the mold from Ash to Peters to Fiedler and Kievers, terrible things of Munt, we are told. What do you think about that kind of jump from character to character. Cause I, I love a lot of characters uh, on our side, but what do you think about the characters on their side? That was probably my favorite part of the beginning of the novel was when he was starting to, you know, sp he was beginning to spiral out of 
control interacting with ash this like you know and each of them are very different characters like you know then they go to that brothel whatever you know speakeasy whatever he meets with the other guy the guy's card the membership card yeah that guy takes him to another guy but all along you know he's slow playing it and i think it just it really shows how adept you know lemic is at you know he, he sold it man he, he yes yes he, he was perfect at it he literally you know put the trap out there and they took it like academy the, award i love the there's one line where he says like he didn't even allow himself like there was only like one minute in the night when he was laying in bed yep. alone in the dark would he allow himself to like almost break character right even like, consider yeah like consider like thinking about you know not acting how he had been acting even if his thoughts, just his stream of consciousness was his cover. Yeah, because sometimes he, he said he would find himself like muttering, right? Like, yep, exactly. And I think there's there's times where we get this like inner dialogue mm-hmm. and, you know, reading the audiobook just hits because like the way he like he'll cut, the narrator will cut from a character and then like go back to Lemic, but you, you can kind of tell that it's inside of his head and, and not spoken. I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain, but you yeah, know, I get that. Yeah. I, and I uh, was thinking about that of like, could this book have been better served? We talk about Don Bentley and whatnot, how he wrote first, first person in his personal series. And now with Mitch Rapp, he's going to have to kind of go back to this third person viewpoint. And what are the strengths and weaknesses of each? Were we either in your opinion, too much with Alec Lemus? not enough should we 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 essentially are in his shoes the whole time pretty much other than like a few scenes that is a strength of this book would you say i would i i think this book works like it only works if we're mainly with alcalimus because the the surprise is ruined because if you if you go to any other place you're going to be tipped typically you're going to be tipped on like something you know there would be too much it would be too much to like go to like control or or smiley and like not have them spill the beans and i feel like that'd be more confusing than just like literally being with a character and you only really know what he knows what he sees you know it's it's one of the few times i don't want to be stewing with the villains in a smoky room you know drinking bourbon and plotting some evil plan and hearing how they're gonna do it like i definitely don't want that here and it is such a cerebral, intellectual book that seeing it only from his point of view lets us think like he's thinking. It helps us reason through the the viewpoints that he's shaping about the world and the viewpoints that others have about the world, but through his eyes, almost like we're part of the conversation with the other right. characters. And so we have to be on one side in order for all those conversations with different characters to play against one another. A follow-up to that, I kind of like the chapter titles. I think that's a subtle strength of this book. It's kind of low-key, but there's always something, even in a short chapter, that you don't expect it, but when it comes up, you go, ah, that's the title. And the one that stands out to me most, like you were saying with uh, Contact, that's when he's being recruited by Ash and how Ash makes contact and was following him, but he knew he was following him, getting out of prison. I like that. Friends of Alec. Like that title just hits when the guys knock on the door and she's like, who are you? We're friends of Alec. And it's George Smiley. 
pins or paper clips was a great uh, that, was, that was a good yeah, yeah and because it was planted that he rejected the extra five thousand dollars to stay on retainer and that was him knowing if i give up the information i gotta get out i kind of want a clean break but there's no way he's gonna get that and it's explained when fiedler is like we don't need to know now if the circus uses pins or paper clips or the description of those pins or paper clips, but we never know if in the future, after we, we follow up know. your tips, that might be the real important detail we're missing. So yeah, we're keeping you. And uh, he knew that I think from the get go, but sure. he had, he had to say no, thank you to that part of the deal, but he knew full well pins or paper clips were in play. It's a pretty cool principle. Confession is one of the title chapters at the end. I'm guessing that's at the trial. Yeah, that's at the trial. That's when he confesses. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep, yep. Trying to save Liz, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. The the titles are perfect. It's a good move. Yeah, and I think like the, most of the chat, none of the chapters really like dragged on. I like the the consistency, uh, you know, the pace that they had. Yeah. You, know, you think of some of these older novels and the chapters are just... I just compared this recently because I, I read the Ludlum series, I don't know, like two years ago. And it kind of like the writing style is very similar, but this one is like completely different in the sense yeah. that it's way more a pace and way, you know, way, way more. And that was, that one's more, a little more, especially the first one's a little more plotting. So, well, that's where, and I said this earlier, it's kind of like Lake Hooray light because I'm thinking of Tinker Tailor soldier spy. One of the, right. other that, that's way Lake more books. like, uh, Oh, it's huge. Love them. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's huge. You're getting every small detail. Things are explained. The minutia is explained and all has a payoff. And it's a very intricate book. And it's a web. Oh, it's it's a web because there everybody's a suspect. It it has this element of a who who done it kind of thriller. And you look at the movie, and I think that's why the movie was impossible to pull off. And why ultimately nobody on this podcast really even liked it and we all fell asleep during it. But I think that's a testament to that style of writing that here is kind of being nurtured. You know, it's beginning to flourish and it's still so artful. Now you add a really long novel with a lot of words and a lot of experience in a writer and characters that are more fleshed out. Now they're in their, what, sixth, seventh, eighth book. And that book is heavy and complex where this one is pretty, it's complex, but in a linear way, one sure. thing builds to the next and it kind of just ramps up and amps up. And then all of a sudden we're on a roller coaster where I feel like that book is just a spider web from the get go. There's so many layers of who done it and, and who's on what side where here it's kind of like this linear reveal from Lemus's point of view. So it, it's a very different style than what I would call some later Lake Ray that I've read. Yeah, maybe one day we'll read uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and, and and cover that. I think I'd like to, yeah, because this one gave us a taste of the classics. Right. And that would be a totally different view on a classic. We could also, I, I wouldn't mind reading uh, The Bourne uh, Identity again. That's yeah, really I'd be good. Have you, you Have you read those? No, I haven't actually read them. Yeah, and it's like, because the first one is all about like Carl the Jackal and like, you know, going back into some old school stuff. So. And the second one is all about like communist Beijing, and it's 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 very very different than the movies. If if, you, if you're expecting to 
have Matt Damon kick ass like a Mitch Rapp novel. It's that's that's not what the original Lovelum series is. So totally, totally outside of the box, separate thing. Have you read Three Body Problem? No, I have not. Three Body Problem. Netflix is coming out with the Three Body Problem in I want to say like January, sometime in the new year. It's so good. It's science fiction, so it doesn't fit at all, you know, into the- our wheelhouse. But if we're talking about going outside and doing something different, the Three Body Problem trilogy is so ridiculously good. Sci-fi, and I thought of it because you said communist China. Uh, the main plot and storyline comes from communist China, I believe, in like the the sixties, you know, in the, in the Cultural Revolution, and it's. It's really cool stuff. Very trippy. And they just released a Netflix little teaser for it. So got to check that out. I love, I love science fiction. So if you like science fiction, this is like de facto, some of the best modern science fiction and tons of people agree. It's Obama has said it's one of his favorite books. Yeah. Cool. All right. So what overall rating would we give the spot? Came for the cold. Yeah. Um, Talked about some things I give an A++ to. I think overall, it's a great book. It's a classic. I could see why it is, and it's meaty. I got to just go in that A, A- range. It's not going to be like my favorite book of all time, but I really, really like and appreciate it and see why it would make a lot of those lists of, like my Limerick said, breaking the mold and um, launching British spy fiction. And I think because of that, yeah, I just have to say A slash A minus. I'm going to completely agree with you. I think that I understand. I, I, I admire it. I appreciate it. I understand. I'm not, I'm not one of these trolls on the internet that will give it a one-star review or, you know, it deserves a five-star review. Because it, does. It, it does what it is, but I'm not going to put it in my top, you know, I'm not gushing over it, but it's a very good book and I would recommend it to anyone who wants to dive in to you know you want to get into old spy writing you know before you dive into like a tom clancy like an early tom clancy or ludlum or even you know some more of the lake race stuff check out this one first because one it's shorter and two i think it, it's it's a really easy read like yeah because sometimes like I, I get i get hung up on like how people write like the language of that time and this one is way more like not it's not a lot of like I don't know. Just it. It doesn't. It doesn't. It flows. It's simple. It. it yeah. For being a complex plot, it's, it's very, simple yeah, it's in simple. terms of storytelling. Yeah. 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 We're on the All same right. page. We did it. Sparking them from the cold, man. And you definitely we- brought me up going through some of those early philosophical things in our in our talk and the way you explained some some plot maneuvers to me. I would have probably started with an A minus, and you got me to an A slash A minus for sure. Okay. All right. All right. So Nick, I, I'm super excited to talk to our group about this. See what see what they uh, yeah what they have to say about it. We have a very diverse group of people who, you know, large range of ages. So really intrigued to see what what they think. think about yeah, this I one. agree. All right. So w- when are you going to run this? Is, is this going to run this week or? We could put it out there, tell our patrons, you know, hey, don't listen to it so we don't don't color your thoughts until we all chat. Uh, We could wait until December sometime after we chat. Uh, Totally up to you. I I don't know how you want to play that. I'm good to wait. Good to sit on it. All right. Well, so I I won't say what we're going to do next time because uh, I don't know when this is going to run. But uh, 
well, we're covering Moscow X for sure. That might already be done by now as a follow-up yes. to Damascus Station. We want to cover Ward Larson's newest book in the Assassin right. series. That's coming out mid-December. May have already gotten that out to you guys by now. And another thing we're hoping around the New Year time, just beforehand, Sons of Valor. Let's get into the new yeah, Sons of Valor. I think you really have to read one and two. So we'll probably be in the middle of that. And Chris... I think we kick off the new year with something that the people definitely have wanted. Our Brad Thor recap, our halfway first 10 books of Brad Thor recap and rankings as we finish. What is it? Full black we got next? No, we just did full black. We got to do blacklist. Blacklist. So, and I think that's roughly halfway through the series. Exactly halfway through the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that has to be a new year goal, kick off January with getting to the halfway point in the Brad Thor series. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Good stuff. All right. We need to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Piggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using our podcast. You can find us online at thrillerpod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at thrillerpodcast. And as always, just let control be control. Oh, he went with control. Not just let Lemus be Lemus. Nah, I like and control. He's the one who controls it, man. Yeah, it's true. Yo, control. John, John Hurt is an amazing control in. I will have to say that in uh, Tinker Taylor's in the movie Tinker Taylor Soldier. I was just yeah. about to say control is a boss, and some stuff that happens in Tinker Tra- Taylor Soldier Spy is like, yeah, next level with that. So, a lot more to come. Speaking of Lemus, though, if we do say let Lemus be Lemus. I listened to this one-minute clip. It must have been from an interview of Le Carre explaining where his inspiration for Lemus came from. And I think his little post-credit here, a little post-script, uh, I'm going to put in that that clip. Hopefully, it's not copyrighted because it's just on YouTube, but him talking about the inspiration for Lemus. And I think it really hits at some of the things we talked about. All right, cool. Can't Thanks say it better that. than the man himself. Yeah, no. And what his what is his real name? Lecrae is not his real name. Yeah, no, it's not. And he was in British intelligence uh, for a while, I believe, during the war. So, yeah, we should definitely have spoken more about his background. John Lecrae. David, David John Moore John. Cornwell. Died in 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it was recent. Like, I literally read his most oh, recent that's why, two books. That's why we, we did the movie, because he had died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. And what were his With, most uh, recent ones? It was Silverview. That was either published right after or around when he died and then there was one more agent running in the field i like that one i believe that was the second to last one published in his lifespan so agent you running in the one? field was fun yeah that was that was good it was kind of quick like this it actually went back to this spy who came in from the cold style very linear one-dimensional simple storytelling but with a pretty complex plot behind it that was a good quick one now i did you watch the show the night manager Oh, the night manager was great. I would love to read that one. Did that you was see a it? Good series. That was a great series, dude. Tom also, Hiddleston, the Constant Gardener. That was a, that was a movie. Constant Gardener's a movie. Yeah, you know what? I I would actually kind of want to read those two instead of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I'd rather do Night Manager. I really want to do. Oh, and David McCloskey told us he, he's one read everything by Le Carre, and he said his favorite is Little Drummer Girl. So Little definitely. drummer girl, yeah. No, I some some people have, have have claimed that that's one of his best. Exactly. Most a lot of people have said that. Now that's a smiley book too, is it not? Um, 
cannot be. No, it's not. Okay, it's not. It's just a separate one. Yeah, I think there's like eight in the Smiley series, but the first three or four are not necessarily uh, told like a series. And then by the time you hit Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and the few before and after that, I think it is like a sequential story. Yeah, you have uh, like the Carla series, right? Uh, yeah, George, Carla, exactly. The Carla series. Carla. Right. Dude, you want to talk a villain or at least this like overarching string going through a bunch of novels? Carla is where it's at. Oh, yeah, definitely. Ca- definitely. Exactly. And that's a big part of Tinker Tailor Soldier. So, yeah, the Carla uh, trilogy or the Carla series in there. It's like Smiley versus Carla. It's really, really good stuff. That's where it heats up. That's why when people were like, I'm going to go back and read the first two Smiley books before this one, I'm like, I don't you know. Don't have I, to. I haven't read them, but I don't know if that's the right play because I think you jump in. Spy who came in from the cold and then the Carla books. Right, right. So, yeah. All right, well, here's a little Lake Ray in the post credits, postscript explaining Alec Lemus. I'm often asked where Alec Lemus came from. And with time, because the question became so oppressive, I think I told a lot of lies about it. But uh, I do remember one character, whether this is in my imagined memory or my real memory, God knows, because at my age, creative people can't tell the difference. I do remember the image of one figure a Peter Finch-like figure in a raincoat at London Airport going up to the bar and hauling a whole lot of different currencies out of one pocket and demanding a large scotch. And I thought, yeah, that's, that is a sort of archetypal secret agent figure, exhausted, barely knows what country he's in, much traveled, down on his luck, that sort of printed itself as an image.